This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. All right, Kev, this is the second show in February, right? Yep. 2023, kicking off the uh, year just right here. And we have Jess Jacobs yep. to talk about her kitchen and bath, which you are in process Yeah, now? we just started about okay. a week ago. And right. we are, uh, <laughs> this is a big one. We, we've started a week, and probably within three and a half days, we took out the entire kitchen, uh, the whole back room, and moved a bearing wall, which was fun to do. And uh, we're just moving straight along. We've, a couple of days later, we started putting the plumbing and electric in, and we're moving right along. So we're going to have her on to talk about what one of the reasons why is why was she in the process of what reason why she wanted to do this so okay. Jess, we like to get your answer on that so what do you think a couple of reasons why i wanted to do this was we've lived in our house about eight years and the bathroom was original to our home so it was about 30 years old at this point so it was definitely time for a um, refresh and with respect to the kitchen the previous owners had updated it just from a personal taste perspective, wanted to really make it our own. And secondly, the functionality of it um, really didn't best fit our family's lifestyle. We actually did one of the neighbors very similar to this. So we knew what we were getting into and how that was going to so lay So did out. you see your neighbor's house and that was, that's what gave you the idea and the impetus to do your house? In the process of when we were talking about um, doing our kitchen and designing it, I did see um, the neighbor's kitchen and that really led me to how I wanted to design our kitchen. It is really exciting because the kitchens that they have, they're, it's functional, but they, they always make them a little bit tighter. The workspace was not great. Now it just gives it so much more open and workspaces, so much more user-friendly. Was that from the builder? That was from the builder, builder. originally. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay. that wall we took out is between the dining room and then the kitchen. So we're putting a larger island in. It's, it's just so much more functional, more room you can move around in. Mm -hmm. That's what people like. But the footprint of itself is not really changing. The oven is going to be moving, but it's going to be an all-one in the existing unit where the existing cooktop was. The sink's going to be where the existing was, but we're just adding more cabinets. And now we're bringing it into... They have a back Florida room. We're going to be putting some more cabinets and flooring in there and getting that it's all It's like flowing into that room now, right? Correct. Okay. okay. Correct. So, and then we took that door out there. I guess I believe there was a big nine foot, 10 foot door uh, that was there that went from your kitchen to the back Florida room, correct? 
Yes. And so everything will just be a lot more open. And also, we ha- while we had a very long island, it really didn't present itself to an island you could eat at or do much at. And now we're going to have just a very large rectangular island where you could sit and eat at. It would accom- It's going to accommodate seating for four or five people so our family could sit and eat at it. And just more of the traditional island you would expect to see in today's homes. Yeah, islands chose. really took over, didn't they, a couple of years ago, and they're still going strong. When you have kitchen tables and you want to get rid of the kitchen table, these islands are set up and designed for that reason. So it's not so much if you have the availability, why not extend the island to make it into a table or much more user-friendly? That's okay. the whole key is making everything user-friendly. Because sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, the old-fashioned way of not having an island, it's tough to entertain, it's tough for cooking. If you're entertaining a little bit more, or if, look, you got kids in the morning and you want to just throw them at the table, throw some cereal up and get them on their way, it's it's right there. Everything is right there. So you're looking at function of design more than just, hey, it looks great. Let's not be able to use it. But some people are that like that. And we're in the process of all of our jobs are let's use the island as a, a workable space. And it does work. It really works great. So you want to incorporate it. We are starting yeah. in the process of getting into that. So I didn't know exactly what the island size was going to be. I just know we had to be in that certain area. So walk us through the island and see what we have. Sure. So, I mean, the island is going to be 110 inches long and the width were around six feet. To give you an idea, the existing island was about 34 inches. It was a very awkward dimension. It was. So you couldn't really use it to do much work at while you could sit at. It didn't really leave much room. And from just a visual perspective, it was a little weird. Could people sit opposite each other and eat with plates and everything? Was it the, well, the other one? You couldn't really sit opposite each other because you would just basically be in the main flow of traffic. Okay. That's why we removed the wall to give the So it's essentially a one-sided island then, right? Sort yeah. Of, sort so of, I, yeah. Okay. had a place to basically fit like two stools the way our kitchen was laid out, but that was pretty much it. So this this gives you a lot more space, right? Exactly. Okay. That was a lot of the thought process behind taking the wall down is that I could have this large island that would provide both seating and additional workspace. Good really idea. Yeah, good idea. Good idea. And the fact you stayed in the same footprint, essentially, right? Yeah. That wall coming out just gives the room to make the larger island to get around a lot easier. When you're tight and you have to walk around everything, it's very narrow. It's it's not very good for flow of the kitchen, the furniture of the kitchen. Because I always tell people, you're only doing this once. This kitchen is going to last you to 35, 40 years, so why don't do it right? But doing it in a way that you feel comfortable that you're going to get the best out of it. And if you don't have that function there, boy, I tell you a lot of times when you talk to people like, yeah, I guess you know, I wish we took the wall out. Since we didn't take the wall out, we put it in the same footprint and we're not happy. I said, you just spent a lot of money on something you're not happy with. Maybe you should have exhausted all of your options from the beginning. Yeah, that's a good point with home improvement. If you make a marginal decision, you know, you want to save money or whatever it is, we just don't want to get into it now, chances are you're going to be dissatisfied at the end of the day. You don't want to make marginal decisions. You don't want to marginalize the whole thing. When we first talked about this project, it was, I don't like the color of our cabinets and our countertop. It's not my taste, you know, it's kind of old chestnut brown and, you know, brownish granite which just isn't my taste Uh, i'm more of a modern gray white kind of so we thought okay should we just strip up replace the fronts of the cabinets get new countertops and then as we looked more and more we wanted to change the island and as you delve further and further it's like why spend x when we're still not going to be totally satisfied at the end of the day absolutely yep you know what you just mentioned too i think the change you just mentioned from the dark brown and the dark brown granite i think it has a lot to do with your mood too I really do, because today's looks are brighter and light cabinets and everything. I think it's an uplifting home improvement versus that dark, somber stuff, you know? 
Absolutely. And the change of LED lights gives you the option oh, to yeah. increase and accentuate a lot of the lighter cabinets, the grayer cabinets. Even though the LED is a little bit more on the blue side, you still have the issues of with white and gray. We can change the LED lights that we put in. We just don't put in the cheap ones. We put really nice ones and they give you the option for the case. So as you're hearing back in there, that's my guys in there working right now. I was going to say, yeah, apologize for the noise, but you, Russell, I what is that? you know they're working now. I thought you had a wild animal in there. No, that's, that's the electric getting done because we have all of our inspections set up tomorrow. So we are on a tight schedule. Now, when people talk about the schedule on, on such a big project for a small company like us, Jess, we gave you exactly day by day what's going on communication. Did we meet your expectations so far for the week that we've been there? Absolutely. Keeping on schedule, look, things can go wrong. The hardest part with me, as I said, Jess, listen, once we get to that drywall stage, I'm pretty much relaxed at that point because I know we've got so many moving parts. We had to get it ripped out. We had to correct any of the problems. Then I had to put a beam in and then I had to get the bathroom ripped out. Then I have the plumber there yesterday to mm -hmm. get all the rough done that had to be done. Now the electric's getting done. Now I've got to get inspected because one of the things in the horror story is a lot of the problems that we were finding. And that we'll be talking about later in this horror story. But I tell people that's why you get permits. Because there is no chance that the previous homeowners got permits for what they did. So there were so many problems. And a lot of the problems that we found were going to be corrected. And really, like... Was it, it a do-it-yourselfer? <laughs> no, it was... I mean, it was professionally done. I mean, Jess, don't you think that kitchen huh. was professionally done prior? It was professionally mm -hmm. done. And as we were pulling out, so I said there, hey, listen, I know this, the contract said, hey, look, we have some dry when we're stopping here. I started picking some things up because I found flying splices. So I decided, again, at my cost, when I do something like that, I wanted to rip it all out because I wanted to find the problems. And we were ripping out drywall and... <laughs> Was it possibly a fire, too? Yeah. Well, oh, you don't put spackle yeah. in a, in a, got, in no, that lit box. It, huh? I wanted to take all that out. So I decided on mine, and that's where I said, tell, I told her, I said, listen, I made that decision, so it's no charge. I just want to make sure the job's done done right. So we exposed a lot of the issues that we found from the other builder. That I exposed it, we're getting inspected. Get a permit. I mean, how many times I tell people, listen, if you don't want to get a permit for something, you're, we're moving bearing walls. We're putting all new electric in. You want to get a permit. You want to make sure that the inspector's doing what we're asking for. And that's what we're there tomorrow is getting all of our inspections. Mm -hmm. So it is done correctly. Mm -hmm. And it's a peace of mind for the homeowners now that it's done correctly. They can say, hey, the homeowner, listen, it's done. We like what it's done. The homeowners are liking everything we've done. And one of the big things we have always talked about is the contractor cleaning up. So far, have I met your expectations on cleaning up? Yes. And I'm also pretty in all about having things clean. So it was a tough bill to fit. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, but it's not for anybody's like one specific. I, I know when you go into somebody's house and you look at it and you say, wow, everything's nice and clean. Every home should be done that way. And if you talk to all the neighbors in your neighborhood, that's the one thing we strive for. Look, we, we ripped out a ton. It was two and a half inches of concrete and wet bed in that entire kitchen to the Florida room. We had to jackhammer all that up. So we contained everything, but still that light Do you dust do that or do you bring in no, a sub? Dave and I, okay, you didn't. Jess, did Dave and I do all that? They did it all. And okay. I was completely blown away at how quickly they did it too. Yeah, Dave's an animal. You know, he was ripping it up and we were just cleaning behind him. See, the only reason I like to do it myself is because I can control everything and it's not where you bring a sub in and are just slapping it up and ripping it apart and then leaving the, the house is a mess. They have to live there. They have no kitchen right now. The bathroom now is, uh, one of the bathrooms is not usable. So let's get in, get done quickly, keep it manageable so they're going to be very happy because they have to live there. And this would, the education I try to give. Yeah, you want to get in and out of somebody's home, right? Right. Yeah. And I just remember I said to you, listen, no matter how good we are, how clean we are, if I keep on schedule, about the two-week mark, two-and-a-half-week mark, even though it's going to be a four-and-a-half-week job, you're going to be like, listen, it's time. Let's, let's get out of my house. So those are the horror <laughs> stories when you hear those 18 weeks. I mean, are you feeling anything after the first week now? Because we're in about a week and a week and a day. 
I definitely see things progressing. And I mean, I feel like we're going to keep moving on schedule and I'm feeling very good about it. Good. Yeah. But a week and a half, we'll have that thing completely drywalled. A week and two days is where we're projected to be. You do the drywall? Or you bring- that, that's something I sub out. We're getting a little bit older. So Yeah, that's heavy stuff. That's, I, we why, got, that's why I asked the question. Yeah. 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 We're doing pretty much, what we do generally is we're going to do the rip out. We have get it set up. Now, the, the subs I do have is, again, my plumber. He's the owner. He does the work. And the electrician is like Dave and I. It's Dave's brother and Matt. So those two are doing the work. And then the drywall is the drywall. I do have to sub that out. But the painting, the finished painting, the trim, the cabinets, that's Dave and I. Oh, okay. It, it minimizes the time. If you're just subbing out, you're waiting for subs to show up. Right, exactly. And if you're running multiple jobs, these subs are not going to show up on time. They're going to be weak, two yeah, weeks Yeah, they're going to run into a problem with the job, and the user's going to suffer then. The yeah. homeowner suffers yeah. dearly on this, because mm-hmm. the whole key is to get in, get the job done, and, and move on to the next job. Homeowners are happy, and I'm sure Jess is going to be happy if we can just keep to that schedule. And that's my yep. whole goal is just to do it. I try as hard as I can to keep to it. And we've been pretty good in that development. I mean, with all the supply chain issues, but the nice part is these cabinets have been sitting there. Mm-hmm. We're not going to say how long it was sitting there, but they are sitting there and ready to go. So, they are ready to go. <laughs> she's been very patient in the area that they live in. All the homes that we were working on the last couple of jobs, mm-hmm. the cabinets been sitting there, which is nice for us, but it's not nice for the homeowner. We were behind just trying to get caught up with jobs being a little delayed and, and so on and so on. But when you see us work, you figure, how are we delayed? I mean, you see the way we work, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you're delayed for a good reason because you have a bunch of jobs, so you're just trying to move through. Right. And that, what I always tell people is that say in her development, I have five or six jobs and they're all named on, hey, this is this job. And when you get to your job, you, I promise you'll be there when that's happens. So all the neighbors see each other. And we just start a job, finish a job, move to the next one. So, but yeah, we're going to get you back on to talk a little bit more about the progress. And it's going to be more finished work when we get you back on. And you can tell our listeners you know, some of the design colors and what you chose. And we'll keep moving on your project. All right. Well, thanks so much, guys. Thank right. you. Thanks for coming on. And listen, stick with us because in the second half of the hour here, we've got Jessica Louts from the National Association of Realtors reporting on markets to watch. And it's a pretty revealing exercise. You'll want to hear this. Hot topic. Okay, Kev, we just told you, uh, this sounds like a really, uh, really cool job, Just Jacobs Kitchen, but you encountered some difficulties, too, with electrical in that house, didn't you? Yeah, it's not difficulties for us, because the electrician's there, and we can get it corrected. But some of the things where I, I just can't put in my mind where these contractors think that they're they're helping the homeowner, they're not helping the homeowner in these instances. Would somebody try to cut a corner or something like that? Well, well, for any of our listeners, if you're getting a job and you see electrical contractor spackling over a live hot outlet that has no wire connections to it. They're just throwing spackle in an outlet to cover it up because they don't want to see it. It's not (laughs) Not, not really a a best practice, right? (laughs) No, it is not. You can just pull the line, but it was still hot. So that's why when we talked about earlier about me taking more drywall down, the reason why I took it down, again, at my cost, is because I had to address because the inspector, if he saw one and it's continued to the other side, He's going to want me to pull apart anyway, because you have when you have flying splices in the wall and you're covering outlets. And I have the video, and you'll see it on our Your Valuable Home IG and Facebook account. I'll be posting it. When people say to me all the time, like, "Are these true?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's the video. I'm not spending three days back on an outlet to show you." I, when we were ripping it out, uh, Dave just started laughing. He goes, "Well, would you look at this?" So the one side had it. We had the drywall, and it was perfectly smooth. And then pulled it off. You'll see the two wires going mm-hmm. in. But it was a newer job, so I knew that the the last renovation that was done, probably about 15 years ago, they did it. So that was one of the problems we had. 
Now, as we're doing the work, this is why we get a permit, is we have to strip all that out anyway. So we, as a contractor, are not going to pass this permit application inspection for electric if I leave all these flying splices in there. So that's why I wanted to get it out. Because is it fire hazard too? It Where's is. Fire? Yeah, okay. Well, if you have no, if there's no connections, if that wire connection becomes loose, and then if it comes loose, it starts arcing. And that's what will happen because now today I have to, I have to by code is the breaker boxes that they're coming off of. Even if I do any kind of work, have to be ground fault tamper resistant. And they're super sensitive. I'm sure the electricians today are telling you they're having a tough time with it because if you're on a home run circuit, now that means from that breaker box, we put in an additional part of wire and we correct it. But if the home run takes off and say goes to like a dining You're room. You're saying home run? Home run. They're called home what, runs. Okay, what does that mean, actually? That's a wire that's coming from the, the fuse box, the breaker box. Right. And it's powering, say, 25 outlets or a light switch and a couple outlets, and it spreads out like vines. Now, one part that we're talking about is if I'm replacing this part, but it keeps going in, say, the dining room. And you had a handyman come in, and he stole a neutral, which has taken the black and white wires to steal to power something up additional. This GFI breaker will pick up and will keep shutting off. So it's more of a pain in the butt for us because now we have to track the mistake that either a handyman, a homeowner, somebody else messed up. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more difficult. So what I try to do is I take a lot of the wiring out that's already messed up by the previous contractor. I strip it down to as far as I can back to the home run and start new because I don't want to have these problems. But there's no way we can do it through the entire job. So what we try to do is isolate certain areas to clean it up so they don't have these problems. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So what we do is try to, again, correct it because we are getting it inspected. And the inspector who's coming out is not going to go, ah, Dad, leave those flying splices in the wall. Don't worry about it. He's going to want them ripped. He's going to want them ripped. Yeah, okay. So, and we did have some options to do it, but we had to rip a lot of it out anyway because there was a wall that we took out. So that wall being in there, the kitchen that was run before, why not take a little bit of drywall down on the backsplash? You're never going to see it because of the cabinets. And you should see the way around the wires. So the wires were bent. So when you bend a wire really tight, that could be, again, another set off this new trigger on a breaker that I have to put in, the new breaker, code breakers that I right, put right, in. Right. So that's what I always look at when you're doing a job. Get it professionally done because there's no way. This I always say sometimes as a handyman that's doing this or the, the contractor is, you know, I saw electric being done. I'm going to be able to do this because we just need to get it done. Does it work? Yes. But it's not right for the homeowner because what if it does catch on fire? That's the biggest boogeyman in the whole thing. I mean, if you want to burn your house down, if you don't want to burn your house down, you got to make sure the electrical's right, right? That, exactly. That's the thing. Just because you're doing a job as a homeowner and or a contractor, you've got to understand that house is still going to be there. New people are going to move in and they're putting their lives at risk. So why do it? And then we talked about when, when Jess and I were talking earlier in the months about doing the project. Say, hey, listen, this back room is uh, always cold. It's a, now they have a heater fireplace in there, but even the air conditioning, it was not doing so well. It was an addition that was put on. It's a slab on grade. So I said, well, there, the heat vents, it feels like some air is coming up, but it really didn't have a lot of pressure. And with that door we talked out, which separates the Florida room from the kitchen, yeah. we took that out. Mm -hmm. So as we ripped everything up, we saw the flooring around it. Uh, the plywood was a little chewed up. It was all small pieces. You mm -hmm. don't want to do that. So you want to be able to take it up, put a new fresh piece in. And I was actually, I had to go run out and pick some stuff up. And Dave goes, you gotta, you're not going to believe this. So they had a five-inch supply line. They tapped off of it, put one supply inside the kitchen, and then did a T off that same supply, put it into the Florida room, and then teed it again to the other two vents. Now, how venting works, HVAC, mechanical, is you need to build back pressure. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have back pressure per line that's coming off the trunk, you're not getting airflow through those vents. 
So those three vents, very little air was coming out because it's trying to supply three lines off of one trunk. So it didn't have any pressure. So we actually- Yeah, it was, it was, it was divided by three. Yeah. yeah. You have a vent, you put it in for a vent. You don't mm-hmm. put five off of them, you put one. Mm-hmm. And again, that comes to, hey, we're a little bit lazy. We want to rip the homeowner off. So let's just do it this way. So we took a lot of that venting out. We capped it off because you don't need it on the interior. Really, the, most of the mechanics has got to be to the outer part of the walls because if you get that tempered, the rest of the house is going to be tempered. So we just decided to delete that to get more pressure to that back room. Mm-hmm. So they have a gas insert there, which is helping great for the, the winter, but in the summertime, they need a little bit of air conditioning. And that's going to help that room a lot better. And then the other thing we found out, that door, it was probably about nine and a half, ten 10 feet long. Uh, and what they did was, hey, we ordered the door wrong, so you know what we're going to do? We're going to take out the jack studs. <laughs> the structure. Yeah. To pull it out so we can install the door. Okay, so what happened then? What did they do? Well, I crossed your fingers and held on. Thank God it didn't drop as far as it did. So what that means is that when you have a, a header beam that holds up, say, a large window or a door, door opening, that's yeah. your structure. Mm-hmm. You have the two sides, which is a jack, and then on the side of that jack is a king stud that kind of ties everything together. For such a long span, it needed to be double jacked. Well, they cut it all out. And I said, well, listen, when we took the door out, I was telling Jess, see these new boards here? We had to put these back in because the inspector's going to go, why did you do this? We didn't do it. It was the previous builder. They took the jack studs out to put the door in. So these are things that you look at. And it's nice when you rip a job out, doing a rip out like this when you're doing a big job. It's great because I can fix the problems. Because if I don't fix them, and let's say I don't even get a permit, and there's going to be problems, I'm still going to be in business for a long time. The problems are going to, they're going to call me if there's a problem. So why not do it right the first time? And again, it's nothing, it's a couple studs. Just do it. But some of these things that these wannabe contractors are doing, it could be a big reflection I mean, on the homeowner. That's just foolish. What you just described there is just foolish. And this is small. This isn't really bad horror stories that we've seen. I mean, we've done worse ones than this, but it's just the shortcuts that people make. And that's why when people say to me, you know, I'm passionate about what I do. But I also get upset that these guys, they think they're contractors and they're coming in here and doing this kind of work and putting the homeowner's life in jeopardy. Look, I, I get there's problems, but all you do is order another door. That was that simple. Have you ever seen a situation where you found bad wiring and it did burn the house? Yeah, one of the neighbors at my last development, uh, they had a job done and within two years, it was arcing and they didn't know. And they, they, When I did talk to them years after, they said, yeah, we noticed the outlet around the drywall. It was like black and cloudy. I'm like, well, that... <laughs> That there's was it. Awesome. There's a giveaway, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, these are some of the things. If you have that, you might want to call a professional Absolutely, electrician and to yeah. get it fixed. You, know, you don't want to be piecemeal on anything because if you don't tie those things together correctly, the wires, they, they have a, a probability of arcing. But I don't want to take that risk. So yeah. that's why we get it inspected and all of our electrical work because it's if you don't, mm, these are problems that are going to happen. But I just don't like that shortcuts are made on jobs mm-hmm. because it's a reflection on all the contractors and the good contractors that don't do that it makes it more difficult for us to sell a job because people get weary about these contractors. Mm -hmm. And that's why we talk about with the home show is that if you're going to do it, do it right and get a permit, please get a permit for this uh, because it is a lot of structure and there's a lot of moving parts and you're going to get a much better job. So that's my advice for all of our listeners. Quite a horror story. Okay, and listen, stick with us because we have Jessica Louts from the National Association of Realtors coming on to report on markets to watch in 2023, and this will be a really revealing exercise. All right, we'll be back after this break. Kev, is it hard for clients planning large exterior projects to visualize how the colors and textures work together? It used to be, especially when they mix products from different manufacturers. Provia's new website and broad selection of exterior products make my job easy. Clients' faces light up as they choose all the products needed to give their home's exterior a now look with Provia's product line and their amazing new website. We use their visualizer right from my laptop. 
Hey, the site is amazing. Provia makes color selection a breeze. The website has eight suggested exterior color schemes that can be applied to Provia products, or customers can choose shades from any palette to suit their own tastes. The Design Center tab must be a great tool for you in visualizing how all Provia products work in harmony based on window and door configuration, siding, stone, and metal roofing color and style. It's brilliant. You can see how Provia products work together on a sample home or a photo of a client's own home. Then you save the work with the My Portfolio tab. The site even lets me take exterior measurements. The new Provia.com and an expansive line of exterior products deliver on Provia's mission, which is to serve by caring for details in ways others won't. For updating home exteriors, our listeners should go to Provia.com slash YVH first and visualize the possibilities. All right, Ryan, now it's time for the featured segment. I know we're going to be talking about real estate. What do we have? Well, we're still in the beginning of 2023, and it's very appropriate. Real estate market from 2020, probably into the beginning of 2022, was a seller's market that resulted in frenzy. People with hair on fire trying to buy buy houses, right? With bids at $50,000 or more over asking a lot of disappointed buyers who weren't able to get closed deals. Well, based on a report from the National Association of Realtors titled On the Horizon Markets to Watch in 2023, the Inflation and mortgage rates that reach 40-year highs in 2022, as well as other factors, they're going to continue to have an impact, Kev, on many residential real estate markets around the country into 2023. Here to break that report down for us is Jessica Louts, Doctor of Real Estate and Deputy Chief Economist and Vice President of Research for the National Association of Realtors, NAR, and I might add, a good friend of your valuable home. So Jessica, welcome back to your valuable home. The major findings in this study are kind of jarring, aren't they? They are. It was a tough market. Thank you so much for having me today. Last year, 2023, it was an incredibly difficult market, especially when we talk about first-time home buyers. They saw really a lack of housing inventory, rising interest rates, and rising prices. And that all happened at once when they're trying to find their first property. And it just became very, very difficult to do so, especially with a lot of all-cash buyers in the market really bidding up those home prices. Okay, so mortgage rates are up. Will they, they're going to continue to rise in 2023? I think so. Sounds that way. Feels that way, right? So what we've actually seen for the last three weeks straight is actually interest rates have actually dropped. We're seeing them just over 6% right now. That's encouraging. That actually does open the credit box for some consumers who would have been shut out at 7%, but may be able to afford uh, interest rates in the 6% range. So hopefully moving into 2023, inflation has ticked down considerably and perhaps we will see the interest rates in line also decline. And that could be really good news for home buyers. I'll tell you, I thank my lucky stars every day. I refinanced two years ago. I got a 2.625. And today it looks like, wow. We continue to see that it, it was up to a quarter of the market quarter of home buyers were waiving that home inspection and waiving the appraisal. So they weren't necessarily sure what they were actually getting themselves into when they went to purchase that home, unfortunately. I couldn't understand that. And I said to my girlfriend and her daughter, I said, there's just no way you want to do this. You don't want to buy a house with that inspection. And then bid over asking for it too. Mm-hmm. And in a situation with mm-hmm. high interest rates, you could end up way underwater. You know? well, I think a lot of the times with the people that I spoke to is that they were already planning on doing a complete overhaul of the house. But my, I said to him, another thing I would worry about, if you're overpaying for a property that's valued at, say, 500000 you're paying five fifty for it, and you're going to dump another two hundred fifty dollars to $300,000 into it, you're going to be well over that market value. If the you neighbor, ever you're going to be over in the neighborhood, right? But yeah. yeah, waving inspections, they said, because I'm, I'm going to be getting it anyway. So I'm taking everything down to the driveway. I'm going to be fixing all the electric. So I, I get it. I understand where they're coming from with waving the inspection. But it also gave them more availability to 
possibility get a landing spot to to bid on the house and get it. Yeah, well, because if you didn't, you weren't getting it. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. It was it was a nightmare. So in the past twenty twenty two, income increased by five percent, but inflation rose by eight percent. What impact does that have primarily on first time buyers? Right. For first time home buyers, those are the ones who are going to really be hurt the most here in this yeah. scenario. As we watched home prices go up, that really does translate for homeowners quite a bit of wealth that they can move into their next property. The typical homeowner having about $200,000 in housing wealth because they've owned their home for 10 years. That's quite a bit of equity. But for your first-time home buyer, as they see income not keeping pace with the home price increases, that's going to just become more out of reach for them unless they have family help. That can either help them with that down payment, maybe even offset the cost of that home and that mortgage that they're taking on. But it could be quite difficult to save for a down payment in that environment. Well, this is an interesting fact in the study. And I I poured through the study. I read it like two two or three times. And what do buyers need to earn today if they want to purchase a medium-priced home without going beyond their budget? That's a national median. I think you quoted a national median of $379,100, right? Am I right about that? It depends on how much you're going to put down for a down payment because obviously that's going to offset your monthly mortgage payment. So if you're putting the smallest amount down, which is 5%, the typical first-time buyer just puts 6% down, so that's right in line, you need to have a household income of nearly $105,000. So you're talking about perhaps a dual-income couple who's at least making $50,000, or you're talking about a single individual, which we see a lot more single women and a lot more single men who have to make that on their sole income. If you're putting down 10,000, you're talking about a little under 100. And if you're putting down 20, which is pretty rare, that's, that's rare even for repeat mm. buyers, you're mm. talking about putting 88,000 that you 88, have to have for a household income. It's a big nut, a lot bigger nut than when I bought my first house, which was $26,000. Yeah, <laughs> It seems like, well, it was a half a century ago. I'm scaring myself. Okay, so if a young couple wants to buy a home, say, uh, near San Diego, San Francisco, or New York City in the suburbs there, which I know all those places are expensive, the income requirement would be higher because of the higher median, right? Yeah. So you're picking the most expensive places. So let's do San Diego first. A young buyer in San Diego, you're buying your first home. Even if you're buying a repeat property and you're a retiree and you're putting 5% down, you're talking about earning nearly $240,000 as a household income. Let's take San Francisco. You're talking about $345,000. Wow. Yeah. If you're talking about San Jose in California, you're talking about earning. This is this is really astronomical. It's you know my eyes are open very wide this morning as we're recording this. You're talking about earning four hundred and forty eight thousand dollars. Yeah, if you talk about figures like that, you don't have to have coffee in the morning. What you have to do is read the figures. <laughs> <laughs> the prices in those areas, and I experienced that years ago. I had a, a couple of clients out in Silicon Valley. It was crazy back then. But you have a lot of people in the tech sector who are making a lot of money. But you know what? There are people out there who aren't in the tech sector. Okay, the prices amount. Right. Nurses, young doctors, uh, firemen, police teachers. How do they mm-hmm. do that? I don't know how they do that. Generally, will a tight home supply cause a continuation of the seller's market through 2023? So generally, but we know that every housing market is completely local. It mm-hmm. is all very different. And so we have to look to of where people are moving into and the migration flows that we're seeing. So in some areas of the country, we saw 45% year-over-year home price growth. We do not expect that to continue into 2023. That's just, you know, a, a lot of factors went into that migration flow, people working from home, 
and moving into areas like Connecticut, like Austin, like Boise, who says it is too expensive in Silicon Valley. And so they're moving into these areas and, and really pushing up home prices. Into 2023, we do still see tight inventory, but home price appreciation, we're expecting it to be relatively flat moving into the year. So some places we're going to see home price growth, but some of them we may see home price losses actually. Generally speaking, it's going to fall back more into the realm of reality, isn't it? We hope so. Some equilibrium in the market would be much better for home buyers than the scenario that you were speaking to where we're talking about bidding way over that asking price and still waiving the home inspection and the appraisal in that process. Yeah. I just don't know how young people do it today. I mean, you got, especially if you're a young child, right? And the mom's not working full time and, and, and the dad's working. Wow. You know, how do you, how do you deal with all this stuff? I don't know. Okay, what about the prices of homes? The sellers market continues on. Will prices continue to rise? In pockets of the country, we may not see it consistently everywhere. So in places like uh, California, where we have seen this rapid home price growth, uh, there may be some retreat in home prices. We're already seeing that locally. But when we look at other places in the country where there is migration flow continuing into, we will continue to see home price growth. Now, I think what's really important too is to keep in mind that historically, home price growth that's positive is 3 to 5%. In so many areas of the country, we're still seeing 8 9% increases in home prices. And we're saying, oh, well, that's gone down. Well, sure, but we need to keep it all in perspective of just the anomaly that we've had the last two years. I can tell you, I mean, a lot of people are taking advantage of the situation. Bucks County, where Kevin and I both live, it's been crazy in the last couple of years. And I saw mm-hmm. a house that probably sold for about seven fifty, And about 10 months, 11 months later, they got a price at a million too. How's that happen? <laughs> I think we're talking about tight supply. It very well could be they they fixed up the home for sale or they really have done quite a bit of work in that time frame. But it is very possible, too, that as we see this migration flows into places where we traditionally have not, that we're seeing this home price growth that really is very strange and perhaps concerning to population who has lived down their neighbors who have lived down the street for that entire time as well. You know, there's something that really, really amazes me. And I didn't take advantage because I have two really great couples in my place in my rental property. So I was very fair with them. But renting is getting more costly too, isn't it? It is. And now we have seen in the most recent data that rents are starting to show the same as home price growth. We're starting to see some flattening there as well. But when we talk about last year and we look about rent, we actually saw bidding wars on on prices. People willingly saying, I will pay more than your list price for rent because I want this unit. And it very well could be that people were priced out of the home buying market. They intended to buy a home interest rates increased and so they had to go back into the renting market and they said, wait, but if I'm going to rent, I want a really nice property. I want something that hits all my bells and whistles and I'm willing to even pay more if not less price. Hmm. You know, it's interesting you say uh, like a lot of people, older people, uh, mature people, let's call them mature people, <laughs> have a lot of equity in their homes, right? But the flip, side, flip side of that coin is if you rent a place for like three or $4,000 a month, which is what they go in for in my, in my development, mm-hmm. you got something else knocking on the door there. It's called old age. And what are you going to do? You know, do you want to go through all your equity paying for rent and then be caught short if you've got to have, you know, people come in and take care of you? 
So that's that's another factor for older people. It's just it could be a problem for them too, couldn't it? It could be. And I think what we certainly are seeing right now too is a lot of people are saying, you know, I have an interest rate at two percent, three percent, even three and a half. Why do I want to move into an environment where home prices have gone up? I can't afford what I already own. And so I'm not gonna move back into that home buying market, even if they may need to move. Even if it's a job and they have a longer commute time now, they may say, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll deal with that on a daily basis rather than make that move because I just can't afford it. And when, especially we look at older homeowners right now, they have a lot of housing equity they're sitting on as these home price gains have really been materialized in the last couple of years. But they may be saying, I'm going to stay put. I, there's no point in me actually making this move. And so they're holding on to larger properties that they may not actually necessarily need or even want. It's got to be a really considered decision. If you leave the nest that you've been in for 25 years and you got a lot of equity, you're absolutely right. What are you going to go to? They're going to spend mm-hmm. money. Well, Rosemary, my girlfriend had a pretty big house. She saw her right. house, about 4,500 4, square feet, and she sold the house, but she's renting. She's renting, and she's happy as a clam, you know? It's like a one-bedroom place, doesn't have a lot of work, got a lot of ground. Taking the maintenance off. Taking total, the maintenance is gone. It's absolutely gone. Yeah, at that point, it's time more than money yeah, at that. Absolutely. But if you think about a lot of the new buyers that are buying today, and now they're saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to rent. And people think, well, you're, you're throwing your money away when you rent. Well, think about this. When you're buying a new house at 6 7% interest, the first five to 10 years, you're going to be paying so much interest that you're throwing away anyway. Yeah. Now, you can exactly. take a deduction on it, but you can still work your way in different yeah. avenues of it. But Sometimes it, it's a little bit better to rent until you get that equity where you can put enough down so your interest will be less. Yeah, it's an equation you really have to weigh these days. You know, it's, you just don't go and claim, let's go buy a house, especially if you're, you know, an older couple. Right, it's a not a one mature couple. Right, mature couple. there are so many options, but it, it all depends on what you are willing to do. So yeah. if you're young, you're older, depending on how you're going to be spending your money, that's going to dictate it, what you're going yeah. to be renting or selling. Did you include young buyers who are in the gig economy in the study? So we don't have a ton of data on that. What I will say is that when you are in the gig economy, it can be quite difficult to obtain a mortgage today because you really do have to provide quite a lot of paperwork to the lender to be able to prove your income. And so those who are in the gig economy need to really make sure that they, they keep all those records, even perhaps going to a tax accountant at the end of the year to make sure that they have all of that that they can provide to a lender. And we know right now, one of the big things in the mortgage market that has been quite good since 2008 and the financial crisis is that lending is tight. It is hard to obtain a mortgage. You do have to have a high credit score, high income standards, to be able to enter into the credit market. Yeah, it's. I wonder about that. And the gig economy is just that. You know, I was in it for a number of years when I was doing um, small companies, upstarts in healthcare. You have a good year, you have a bad year, okay? So when you have a bad year, the bills are the same as they were in a good year. So it's a tough situation, I think, for a lot of those people, especially the younger ones. What is all this doing to existing home sales? We have seen that people are staying in their homes for longer periods of time. When we look at the expectation for 2023 and what will happen to the number of sales in the market, we do expect that home sales will be down by 7%. I hope that's not necessarily true. I do hope that because interest rates are ticking downwards and that continues into 2023 that we see lower interest rates and it could mean more buyers in the market. 
All of that said, we really are lacking inventory. If we had more affordable housing inventory in the market, we would have a buyer for that home. And so that's what we really are missing in many areas of the country. We have less inventory today than we did pre-pandemic. People are not placing their homes in the market for the reasons we talked about, those low interest rates that they may be locked into, but also where did they want to go? And the lack of building is certainly hurting the housing market. We just don't have those properties. Do you see inflation coming under control and mortgage rates dropping maybe as a result if the inflation inflation rate comes down? Certainly, if inflation continues to tick downwards, certainly we could see that interest rates in line continue to tick downwards. And they have for the last three weeks. What I will say is that so much of that is outside of the U.S. control. Um, it has to do with supply chains. It has to do with the war in Ukraine. So we know that a lot of this is really we'll have to wait and see. You know, one one inflation data point that annoys me a little bit. I saw my energy costs double. Did you see that? Yeah, I'm still fighting with okay. the. Okay, what it, what what's going on there? What's the reason for it? Okay, and and it stays that way. That's a problem, isn't it? It is, and it's it's all part of mm. that that home buyer equation that they do at the end of the day too. Of what can I really afford? And it's not just the home. It's also the utility costs. It's also the cost to commute. If you're moving to a further area, you have to weigh in. What is my gas cost at the end of the day, the end of the month? How much is that going to really add up to a public transportation? Is that even available if I wanted to take that? So all of that needs to be part of that home buyer equation of what can you really afford? And it's hard to know today with energy costs increasing so dramatically. You got a couple of wild cards in there. Could push your costs, your monthly costs up like three, four hundred dollars, right? Absolutely. And I think it's really hard for your typical household out there to imagine a four hundred dollar increase on a monthly basis. Where do you pull that money from when your wages are not going up to meet yeah, that expectation? It's a, it's a problem. I mean, it got my attention, that's for sure. Is there any chance we're going back to mortgage rates of three percent anytime soon? I, I would love to see that, but I don't think so. Unfortunately, I, I think as mortgage rates tick down, we're probably talking more in the 5% range, less likely to be in that 3% range anytime soon. Right. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. Your study report includes a housing affordability index, which you use to calculate housing affordability for 179 metro areas. What are the components of that index? So what we're looking at is not only how much they're putting down, we're also looking at uh, what their qualifying income could be. We're looking at home prices and we're looking at interest rates. So it's all of those factors. And we're looking at that by a local area, which is, as we talked about, can vary very dramatically of what that actually means. And according to the index, what are the top 10 markets to watch in 2023 and beyond? I felt this to be a very, very interesting part of the report. Yeah, absolutely. So we identified in 2023 top 10 markets. So not super surprising um, in the dead of winter, but we actually looked at all of the markets that we identified were actually in the sun belt. We're seeing migration flow into these areas already, but we expect that we'll continue seeing migration flow there. The job market is strong. We do see that people have the ability to work remote there, good broadband access, but let me go through some of them here. Um, Atlanta, Georgia, not super surprising. We've already seen a lot of people move into that area. Raleigh, North Carolina, Dallas, Texas, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and Missouri, Greenville, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, Huntsville, Alabama, Jacksonville, Florida, San Antonio, Texas, and Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm familiar with a couple of those, and uh, one of them is definitely uh, Charleston. Charleston Charleston is just like going crazy. 
You got Volvo there. There's another couple of big companies in North Charleston, north of the north of the downtown area. I mean, we had them one last year, right? We yeah. talk about South Carolina. How beautiful it was, it. yeah. It's a beautiful area, and it is really rocking right now. Has all that impacted the price of homes there? Because you probably were starting at a lower point to begin with in some of those places, right? We are. And so these are actually more affordable areas. So what we did is we looked at a, a number of factors here. The economists really dug in and they looked at how affordable it is, how many, the share of renters who can afford to buy a home, the job growth, the share of information jobs. That's a growing sector in the economy. So looking at that share is quite important. Um, population change, inbound moves that we're already seeing, the number of active listings, so actual inventory in the market, and then how many people can actually telecommute in that area as well. Is that still staying strong with employers? Are they still into it? I don't know how much CEOs are into it, but I will say that employees are into it. We're still seeing that a lot of employees are saying, you know what, for every employee who's looking for a job out there right now, there's 1.7 jobs available. So if I want that flexibility, if I need that flexibility, they're going to seek it. And so we are seeing that a lot of employees are are really demanding that. And I don't know that we truly have hit a balance yet with CEOs. Some of them are saying you have to come back into the office in the new year. But a lot of employees are saying, well, I'll just go look for another job then. My cousin's uh, daughter, she works for a wealth management company in Philadelphia. She has been, you know, where is she today? It's like, where's Waldo? You know, she's in Colorado, then she's (laughs) in California and she's working out of her computer, basically, with her laptop. And she's been doing it for a year and a half now. Not a bad gig if you get it, you know. What is the significance of the fact that all these 10, the 10 markets you identified as the ones to watch are in the south and the south central parts of the country? Does that mean that things, prices are too high and all these other index factors? uh, I think they have, if they're above 100%, you included them in the places to watch. If they're below 100%, they're not, right? So, you know, these are more affordable in comparison to other areas in the country. And they already have seen strong uh, migration flow into these areas. So we do just expect that that's going to continue. If we look at the West Coast, I, I think we can all agree that it's quite unaffordable and inventory is incredibly limited. It's hard to build when you're in a coastal area. Certainly, we have seen that places like New York, Boston, D.C., those are quite unaffordable as well. So a lot of people from those areas, whether it's the West Coast or the the three big cities that I talked about uh, on the East Coast, they have already had migration flow into these areas, whether it is Dallas or San Antonio, Knoxville, they're already moving there. And so we do expect that that would continue. Okay, so of those 10 markets, it's good news for those 10 markets and people who live in those markets or have access to migrating to those markets. What happens with the other 169 markets that you scored against the index? Well, I think, you know, it's a toss up. It will not be the same everywhere. Certainly every local area is dependent on that local job market, but it's also dependent on the migration flow that we see into those areas as well. So it's going to depend on whether retirees still say, I want to move to Florida or I want to move to Texas. We'll certainly see that that will continue happening, I think, in many areas of the country. It just may not be as strong as some. And these are areas to watch in 2023, but well beyond that, too. Okay. All right. Yeah, I can see in Florida alone, we've been going to Naples the last couple of years. And the last couple of years, the traffic has gotten to be the way it was in Silicon Valley 20, 25, 30 years ago. You know, it's very crowded down there right now. When you go up north, like the Sarasota, places like that, it's yeah. like 
bumper to bumper people. That it know? is. Yeah. yeah. And Brady Tenere, because I always go down there in the wintertime. <clears throat> and it's more than wintertime because a lot of people are the snowboards are going sure. down there. Yeah. But it is still packed down there. And everything, the real estate down there is through the roof right now. Uh, we were looking at a couple places for rental and it's out of my price range. Yeah. Tell me about it. We're not going this year for that reason. What's your best advice to a young couple? They're saving for a house and they say, oh my goodness gracious, you know, I, <laughs> we just can't keep up with this. And to an older couple who's faced with a decision of should we sell and maybe move downsize or whatever, what's your best advice to those two types of people? I would say for your young couple out there who is really struggling with saving for down payment, you know, what I would do is I would talk to your mortgage broker. Honestly, I would see if there are any low down payment programs that you may qualify for. For those teachers and the nurses and such out there, there may actually be programs and they fly under the radar. You might have to talk to a couple of brokers before you find someone who's educated on those and see if you could take advantage of it, especially now because we have fewer buyers out there in the market who can afford the higher interest rates. They may be able to get into a home. I would also talk to your local realtor, see if there's any overlooked areas, places that yes, do need some work, but if you're willing to put in that work, maybe that's a compromise you're willing to do so you can start earning that housing equity. Mm-hmm. For the older couple out there, you know, I would say you're sitting on a lot of housing equity. Are you where you really want to be? Maybe that means that you can pay all cash for your next home or you could finance a very small portion of that mortgage. So maybe you should look at that. If not, then enjoy the equity that you have earned in that home. Is it an option for an older couple to rent their house? And if they have a rental, maybe move into the cheaper rental or rent of another place, especially if they don't have them, if they're not carrying a mortgage on, the, on, the, on their uh, primary residence. Is that a good option for them? I would say for that older couple out there who's thinking about holding onto that property, perhaps they do put it onto the rental market and they move into a home that's more appropriate for them. But I think at the end of the day, they need to decide, is that the right decision for them? Do they need to hold on to it? Or do they actually need to use that housing equity to move into the new property? And that's where the experts come in and can really advise them. Okay. A good point. And we thank you again for coming on Your Valuable Home. We'll have you on at least 200 more times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This was a great conversation to start the day. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufacturing, stone and metal roofing products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship the Provia way that's this week's podcast your valuable home comes to you every week on the new pod city podcast network apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories if you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story email me at kevin at your that's kevin at your and don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 